Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Ladies Who Punt is brought to you by Inglis. Inglis has had over a century of turf champions go through their sales rings. And now with their pink bonus series, there has never been a better time for women to join in on the fun of racehorse ownership. That's right, Grace. With the bonus prize money up for grabs, the pink bonus series is a great initiative to get more women involved in racing, making Inglis a fabulous partner to ladies who punt. We can't thank them enough for supporting our podcast and the representation of women in the racing media. Field is ready. They're racing in the Oaks. Hello and welcome back to Ladies Who Punt. We are the podcast that aims to decode the sport of horse racing one topic at a time. My name is Fiona Blair and joining me today for our Cox Plate special is my regular co-host Grace Ramage. Hello Grace. Hello Fee and hello everybody listening to a massive episode of Ladies Who Punt because we are really at the crux of what the spring racing carnival is because it's Cox Plate Day this Saturday. I can't believe that it's already here. Um, but I tell you what, it, it certainly feels like, it certainly feels as good as Cox Plate Eve, Eve generally does. We've got an amazing field <laughs> assembled, um, and we're going to go through runner by runner and, and really discuss and get to the bottom of, um, you know, the challenges and who we think is going to come out on top. The Cox Plate is my favorite race, uh, Without a doubt, I think a lot of people would say it's their favorite race. It is known as, um, you know, Australia's greatest race because the difference between the Cox Plate and let's say the Melbourne Cup is that the Cox Plate is for the wait for age horses. It's for the multiple group one winners. It's for the best of the best who all carry the weight under wait for age conditions, which means that if you've won plenty of races, you're not penalized for winning those races. You're not penalized for being the best. You get in just as well as mm-hmm. anyone else uh, under the weight scale, which means that you get every chance to just keep on doing your thing. And, you know, there's been so many amazing races um, of in the Cox Plate uh, history. You know, you can go back and watch some of the absolute uh, powerhouses of Victorian racing, Australian racing, um, global racing. There's been plenty of internationals that have won this race. Some of the best of the best in the world have come down here and taken out the Cox Plate. So it's just steeped in tradition, and I cannot wait to see who etches their name on the honour roll for 2023. Yeah, so we will be taking a deep dive into the Cox Plate today, followed up by a look at the Manicado, which is for the first time officially on the Saturday. Last year it was moved due to horrendous lightning and thunder on the Friday night and they decided to keep it there. Horrendous. So we'll take a look at that where Imperatrice lines up again, hoping to go three from three at the Valley. And then we'll also take a look at the Mooney Valley Gold Cup on the Friday night because that's a very important lead up to the Melbourne Cup. And we can start to see how the Melbourne Cup field might shape up over the next couple of weeks. So plenty to discuss today. I feel like the Cox Plate's going to take us a while, Grace. So we better get yep. straight into it. Uh-huh. 
Fee, for anyone who hasn't yet heard of our new Ladies Who Punt Members Club, there is so much on offer, launched only in the past month, of course. Um, amazing benefits. My personal favorite, our brand new exciting tipping competition. Yes, Grace, the tipping comp has been so popular with a $50 cash prize every week, but there's so much more on offer for our members. Mm -hmm. You get our exclusive members newsletter each and every Friday, which has extra tips from you, which have been going very well in the last few weeks, <laughs> as well as my form indicators for the group one races. We offer ad-free episodes of the podcast, so you can get everything straight to your ears without the ads. And we also offer free merch to people that sign up to our members club. So you can either sign up monthly for $15 or annually for 180. Lots of fun to be had. Can't wait to have you on board. Yeah, and it's just a great chance for people to also show their support to what we're trying to achieve in Ladies Who Punt. Uh, it's our passion project. And we would love for you to come on board with our new Ladies Who Punt members club. Okay, so the headline race of the weekend one of the headline races on the Australian racing calendar, the Cox Plate, a wait for age 2000 meter group one run at the Valley. So we have a very competitive field this year. And if we take a look at the betting, we have the Hong Kong superstar romantic warrior at $4. In the second line, we have alligator blood at $5.50 and then Mr. Brightside in the third line at $7. And then we have Gold Trip Fangirl and Militarize all sort of around the $8 mark. So the field's pretty wide open, $4 the field, Grace. We know that that's a saying in racing that means that there's not a heap of confidence from the market. How is the speed map looking? Because we know that's an important place to start when looking at our form. Well, the good thing about a race like this is that we know all of these horses inside and out. You know, how many times have we talked about some of these horses during um, episodes of our podcast? You know, these are these are our absolute faves. We know exactly what they do. We know what they need to produce their best. And because of that, making a speed map is, you know, relatively simple. Uh, obviously, alligator blood from barrier five we can expect that tim clark is going to go straight to the front with him we know that zaki likes to be on speed as well now he's drawn barrier 12 i don't think they're going to alter their pattern i think they still intend to push forward it's just whether or not he has to do some work to get there uh, that's going to be the question for Zaki, but definitely have him going forward as well. Romantic Warrior is a horse that we don't know particularly well in Australia. Um, we've only seen him once, and that was in the Turnbull Stakes. But we, I can tell you that he is a horse that likes to race on speed as well. So from Barrier 7, James McDonald will probably be looking to cross, maybe tuck in behind Zaki and aim to get the one-out, one-back position. That'll be, I think, his goal aboard Romantic Warrior. And then of the others, I think maybe Mr. Brightside from Barrier 2 will try and hold his spot um, maybe to end up in the box seat directly behind Alligator Blood. And a horse like Victoria Road, who is the unknown factor because he's coming over from the UK, trained by Aidan O'Brien, arguably the world's best trainer uh, based in Ireland, he might go forward from Barrier 6 or he might look to just blend in sort of behind the speed somewhere. I think the rest um, are likely, you know, Gold Troop, Fangirl, King Colorado, Pinstripes. Those horses are probably going to go towards the rear of the field. They'll be happy to balance early, um, get their horses in a, in a nice comfy rhythm and then be finishing off strongly. The one that's confusing for me is Militarize. This is the three-year-old in the field who we'll discuss shortly. 
He's drawn barrier three, but this is a horse that does not have much gate speed. And when I say that, I mean, if you go back and watch his replays of his recent races, even last start in the Caulfield Guineas, out of the barriers, he had to sort of be asked to, all right, boy, let's go. We're, we're on here. He had to sort of be shaken <laughs> up a little bit out of the barriers to hold a position. And when I say hold a position, he was still at the tail of the field. So while in theory, they might want to be more forward from barrier three, I'm just not sure that the horse has enough gate speed to do that. So he could be in a bit of a tricky spot back and buried around the valley. But uh, Alligator Blood and Mr. Brightside are probably the two that have got absolutely perfect draws for them. Like they should have, they get to get where they want, they'll get where they want to get very easily, I think. Yeah. And I guess the speed map at the Valley is quite important, Grace, because we know that it has that short straight. So the horses towards the rear of the field can be a little bit disadvantaged. Do you think it's going to play a big role on Saturday that the way that the Valley is shaped? Well, I think what's important to note is that they do want to try and make their um, positions in running nice and early. Uh, but what is generally the way that, that races are run at Moonee Valley compared to Flemington, let's say at Flemington jockeys are happy to just let their horses be really comfortable and not really be asked for an effort until they're like into the home straight, because they know that the long Flemington straight will allow their horse to build up their revs and, and get into the race with plenty of time. Um, at the Valley, not so much. So you'll see horses, especially in a Cox Plate, 2,040 metres, basically jockeys starting to get their horses into the race, starting to ask for a, a stronger effort from their horses from around the 800 metre mark, which is almost like down right. at the top of the side. It'll be on and you'll see horses from the rear of the field starting to try and swoop to get there um, before they approach the straight because you want to be... You want to be in a cox plate, not just getting to your top at the line. Like you want to be well and truly out of energy, your horse's max energy well before the line because that's your best way to win at the Valley and win a cox plate. So I guess now that we've got that picture in our mind, Grace, let's talk about who is catching our eye in, these, in this field. Who do you want to talk about first? Well, let's talk about Romantic Warrior first because... Of course, he is the favourite for the race. Um, he was the favourite for the mm -hmm. Turnbull Stakes last start as well. Now, this horse coming from Hong Kong, he is no doubt, he's a very, very good horse. He's a three-time group, group one winner in Hong Kong. Um, in the Turnbull Stakes, he started at $2.45. And I think there was a few people that were a little bit disappointed, maybe thinking, oh, maybe he's not that good. Oh, you know, he had everything going perfectly and he, and he, you know, sort of just um, held to the line. Like there was nothing spectacular about what he did. He was beaten by Gold Trip that day and he ultimately finished fourth, beaten about four lengths. However, he was only first up, essentially, if we were looking at a horse that's going first up 2,000 metres in a high-pressure Group 1 Turnbull Stakes, you would, of course, say, oh, gee whiz, I think he's probably going to need the run. You know, whatever we see from him on Saturday, we're going to see him get a lot better as he gets deeper into his campaign. Now, I know internationals have different training methods that, that aren't necessarily normal to what we see in Australia and the way that trainers, Australian trainers, prepare their horses to always, you know, come on with runs and be peaking third up, fourth up. But I think it's still safe to say that Romantic Warrior will improve heaps out of that. And if he does... I think that he is probably the horse to beat here because that run in the really? Turnbull Stakes it wasn't bad at all. Like, you know, it was a very, very high rating 
um, race where we see the first horse and the second horse, Gold Trip and West Wind Blows, both come out and run second and third in last Saturday's Caulfield Cup. So the form is strong. The the horses ahead of him are good horses. And now we see him, you know, second up back around the valley where his work has been great at the valley. We've seen plenty of it on social media. Um, if James McDonald can land the 1-1 on Romantic Warrior, I think that he's the horse to beat. Yeah, I was taking a look at his stats yesterday doing the form and um, 2,000 metres is certainly his ideal distance. So he's raced that distance seven times in his career. He's had five wins in one second. So his last start in the Turnbull is the only time running at that distance he hasn't come in the top three. So he's ultra yeah. consistent at this distance. And fair enough that maybe he found Flemington on Turnbull Stakes Day just a little bit like he might have been a little bit wide-eyed going into the race and couldn't put his best performance in. I think, you know, that's fair enough. I don't. I think we were expecting him to go well because he has run first up over 2000 um, and won. So he sort of had that record at home in Hong Kong. But, you know, we, f- we forget mm-hmm. he's travelled. He's in a totally new environment. Um, so he should be a lot more comfortable this time around. I do think he's got a very good chance, but I'm not sure he's the one to beat Grace. I think he's found himself against some very talented 2000 meter horses that are local that are here Australian bred and and they've been running so well like I think of alligator blood and I think of his win last start in the Caulfield Stakes that was very good he looks to be yeah at his best you know at the moment and I can Mm -hmm. really see him giving um, romantic warrior a bit of a a bit of a battle down the straight like it's very hard to get past alligator blood when he's in good form like you said at the top, you know, barrier five, perfect for him. And I guess when I've been looking at the field, I've been looking at who is proven at this distance and at this grade, you know, like who has that group one class over 2000 meters and alligator blood ticks that box, which is, you know, uh, which for me is, is quite important when looking at the field for Saturday. What are your thoughts on him? I think everything you said is exactly right. Alligator blood is absolutely flying i mean there's no doubt about that he's gone to he's gone to another level which is what's so exciting last Mm. year we saw animo win the cox plate and he was the weight for h king no doubt he just kept on racking up group one wins he just kept beating everything that he was up against um and he beat alligator blood and zaki and mr brightside and these sort of horses in the cox plate last year now he's not around he's gone to stud he retired but I still think that Alligator Blood and Mr. Brightside have taken that next step. You know, it's it's they have been mm. able to, obviously with Animo not there um, sparring against them in races, but they've taken the next step. There's no doubt about that. Um, and I think Alligator Blood in particular is one that his last start was amazing. To win, uh, well, he's won his past two group ones, obviously, but his last start to win uh, that Caulfield Stakes was simply breathtaking at 2,000 metres. My query fee with Alligator Blood is <laughs> his last start win in the Caulfield Stakes, the Might and Power Stakes. He sat on speed, as he likes to do, but they went, boy, oh, boy, did they go hard in that race. They have <laughs> absolutely run themselves into the ground, these horses. they were, All of them were chasing a very, very hot lead speed, uh, the lead speed 
was something like 20 lengths faster than the average 2,000-meter mm. race for the first half, let's say. Um, so they were really, really humming along. And that sort of that sort of a, a run where he was, you know, still so game, so brave in the finish, that sort of a run on that lead speed, to me, I feel like it's really hard to, you know, bounce out of that and put up a similar performance right. two weeks later. Now, mm-hmm. the difference is with Alligator mm-hmm. Blood is that he's so tough and he's so, so brave he just seems to you know thrive in these situations so he can he can do it i just have a few question marks about it i'm sort of looking for the horse that's the one that's on the up still to be able to like put in their their peak run for the preparation um and i feel like alligator blood might have done it last start right very interesting and and very good points you raised there was a very hard run with deny knowledge going absolutely flat knacker uh, in the early yep. stages so yeah that's a very good point that I didn't think of um, I guess the flip side is that that is you know another race where he was you know if he can take the next step from that race if it didn't flatten him but actually you know helped him to get to that next stage he could be more competitive but I guess it's just how he turns up on the day and and you know yep. I'm sure Gay Waterhouse and Adrian Bott know exactly where he is but for us in the public, we're not uh, privy to that information, so it'll be very interesting. You spoke about uh, Mr. Brightside taking the next step. Now, I'm sure a few of our listeners would have been disappointed with his run last start up in Randwick in the King Charles III stakes. What did you make of that run, Grace? It's tricky because I was disappointed that he didn't win um, the King Charles Stakes last start up in Sydney. He was a very short price favourite, $1.95 or something. He was beaten by Fangirl, and Fangirl was also now in the Cox Plate as well. So um, the reason that I think that Mr. Brightside didn't win last start uh, personally is because the track was really firm. A lot of the jockeys that day, and even if you go back and watch the replays, you can see all the kickback. The jockeys were saying that it was essentially a firm too. Like it was rock, rock hard. Mm. It was basically feeling like a road. And, you know, Mr. Brightside's won on firm tracks in the past, but he's not a machine. Like horses aren't machines. They Sometimes they um, get to a stage where they feel the tracks and they can sometimes sort of when they feel that they're on a firm track they don't necessarily um let down like they usually would you know they're, they're sort of almost like a an element of them just saying mm, yeah no okay i'm just gonna not give 100 percent, maybe just 90 percent or so you see it all look the time. after myself today yeah exactly and um that's what I put it down to. I put it down to the fact that it was a firm two. Well, it wasn't, but that's what the jockeys are saying. Um, and now, you know, getting back to the Valley, a track that he absolutely loves, um, the the track is generally more forgiving, especially with the weather that we've got at Melbourne at the moment. You know, it's absolutely winterous. Like, it feels absolutely freezing. There's frosts. <laughs> Could be snow. Who knows? Um, so I think, it, I think it sets up well for him to bounce back. Now, Fangirl's got a chance in the Cox Plate too. For her, 2,000 metres is brand new territory. Um, and Fangirl mm. was enormous beating Mr. Brightside last start. She loves sperm tracks. The, the, the harder the track, the better for Fangirl. That's when she thrives. She doesn't like soft tracks at all. So I think that Mr. B can definitely turn the tables on Fangirl from last start, especially from Barrier 2. However, is it still going to be good enough to beat Romantic Warrior 
to run down, go mm. past alligator blood? That's the question. Um, but I think he's going to bounce back from last start. That's the way I'm seeing it anyway. Yeah, I think if he can bounce back, that's great. And, you know, like I'm, I'm sh- I know from – you know, both of us know from being in the Lindsay Park circle that he looks fantastic, you know, and, yeah. you know, his coat's really gleaming. He's physically in, in great shape. I guess for me, the question is always that 2,000 metres, like, is he a mile specialist and getting out to the 2,000 is just that stretch too far? I went back and watched last year's Cox Plate to have a look at how the ones that are lining up again this year went. And, you yeah. know, last year he just got so far back. Like, he just didn't seem to... You know, it it was a big struggle for him to finish off well in the position he got in running. And I think he was jumping from the second widest barrier with alligator blood widest. And that whole spring last spring, I feel like um, he wasn't being ridden as positive as he has been this spring. So I'm hoping being closer to the speed this year, we might see him, you know, put those... Uh, fears to bed that he, he doesn't get to the 2000 and or is not competitive over the 2000 I think if he can be closer to the speed that's that's his best shot and he's going to have to bring his a game to to take down these 2000 meter specialists like alligator blood romantic warrior even Zaki loves the 2000 yep. so yeah he's definitely going to have to bring his a game fangirl was so good last start and I think I I loved seeing James McDonald be more positive on her as well like she obviously mm-hmm. gets back quite a lot and being more, you know, just being off the speed proved so good for her. Um, yeah. So I think, again, that she's going to need that as well. I think just being closer to the speed is essential for her as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, the only problem is that I don't reckon Fangirl is going to be able to get near the speed. They're going to have to take their medicine and go back on Saturday in the Cox Plate, mm. especially knowing that 2,000 metres is a bit of a query. Like, they're going to want her to be... Um, working into the race and getting the trip rather than banging her on speed and fading to the line. Um, so, yeah, she she probably goes back. She's a real X factor, though, because it was a peak performance last start when she beat Mr. B in the King Charles. You know, she mm-hmm. she was she was running second to Animo time and time again this time last year. She might be the mayor that's ready to take that next step. You know, she's really furnishing now. She's getting more mature. She's five. She could be the one that's ready to go bang. Um, only her fourth start for this campaign in a Cox Plate. So she's a real X-Factor horse, but I need to see her do it. I need to see before mm-hmm. I believe with Fangirl. Um, <laughs> Zaki's, Zaki's really interesting because we know his best is good enough. He is. Um, but mm-hmm. he's 40 days between runs. There's been a little bit that's gone wrong with his preparation mm-hmm. so far. It's, if he had a draw barrier three, I would have thought, yep, at a big price, because he's a big price, you're a, you're a, you're an each-way chance here. But from barrier 12, he's going to have to, you know, spend some petrol early to try and find his spot, um, I think, anyway. Just there might be a little bit of play. Like, it's they're going to be tactical. The jockey's obviously going to be tactical in a cox plate. Romantic Warrior might try and make him work and then slot him behind him. You know, if, if my Oberon decides to hold his spot from barrier four, then Romantic Warrior could be posted three deep, no cover. He's going to want to try and put some pressure on those two up front to, to slot in. So 
yeah, Barry 12 isn't ideal for Zaki, um, but his best would be good enough. It's just he's had a bit of a mixed yeah. prep for mine. Um, I don't think he's got that right profile of a horse that's, you know, everything's gone to plan and this is their time to shine. The gap between runs definitely sort of confused me a bit and to not even see, you know, that he's been to the trial since then as well was, I'm a bit like, oh gosh, stepping up to 2000, like perhaps they've done, you know, a few race simulations at home, we don't know. Are there any details, Grace, as to why there's such a big gap between runs? So he was supposed to race in the King Charles, which Fangirl won and Mr. Brightside ran second in. That was two weeks ago at Randwick over the mile. But he was scratched because he had um, a high blood cell count. Um, So he just wasn't 100%. A lot of the time uh, trainers will pull bloods, you know, and generally to pull a blood, the trainer is sensing that something's not right with the horse. They might be leaving some feed or they might be, you know, not their usual bouncing self and a little bit quiet. So there was a reason for them to take the blood and they found that he had a, a, a elevated blood cell count. So he missed the King Charles. So again, not ideal. Obviously he's bounced out of that um, and they wouldn't be lining him up in mm-hmm. a cosplay if he wasn't 100%. But you've still got to query what um, he would have missed out on a, a a big solid race to bring his Mm. fitness up to the mark and potentially some work as well yeah definitely like if sounds like he would have had probably a little course of antibiotics to get him right um and a few quiet days at home so yeah that's really interesting um but I still I'm not sure we can discredit him like he is so good over the 2000 meters you know I just wouldn't be surprised if he if he did something, you know, spectacular on Saturday because he's been around about the uh, this prep, you know, he came third first up in the Winx Stakes Group One over fourteen hundred, and then second in the Seven Stakes over the mile, coming second to you know Think It Over, who's just yeah being fantastic. Yeah. So yes, yeah, I'm still not going to rule him out. I'm not going to put a line through that horse. Uh, he is. When he's good, he's very, very good. Well, Grace, let's move on to a horse that has been in the news nonstop for the last few weeks, and that is Gold Trip, who is who looks like he's following the same lead up to the Melbourne Cup as he did last year, the Caulfield Cup, the Cox Plate into the Melbourne Cup. He is such a tough horse to handle that type of a prep. He lines up here again on Saturday in the Cox Plate, and he's paying about $8 at the moment. What do you think of his chances in the Cox Plate on Saturday? Well, he is absolutely flying. We know that much. He won the Turnbull Stakes two starts ago where he beat Romantic Warrior. He beat a handful of very good horses that day. Um, And that win itself was enormous. He's coming out of the Corville Cup last Saturday. So he's on the seven-day backup, which is, as you said, what he did exactly the same thing last year. He went Cox Plate, he went Corville Cup, Cox Plate, Melbourne Cup, and he won the Melbourne Cup. So why wouldn't the connections think to replicate that exact same um, pathway and hope to repeat the fact that he's, you know, a winner at the elite level in a Melbourne Cup? Now, the difference with Gold Trip this year compared to last year is that he came out of a Caulfield Cup last year where he finished second. I think it was second. Um, the the race shape of the Caulfield Cup last year was that they sort of went a pretty steady tempo early and it was a bit of a dash home. We saw some horses, I think Jewess was one of them, come home in some of the best sectionals of the whole meeting. So it really set up for horses with a turn of foot there. That probably actually was against Gold Troop because we know he's a stamina horse, not a sprinting turn of foot horse. Um, however, it was a really nice, cushy early run dash home to then have him the next morning feeling like, gee, I didn't even have a run. I'm bouncing. This is good. I'm ready to go again. <laughs> 
in seven days' time. Now, the difference this year is that the Caulfield Cup that was run and won by Without a Fight last Saturday was a brutal staying test. It was a completely different lead speed to the Caulfield Cup that we saw last year. This year, they the leaders have said, all right, this is a 2,400-metre Group 1 handicap. Let's see who the best stayer is. And they went hell for leather up front, and we saw the stamina horses to the fore. Um, and... Obviously, Gold Trip is a stamina horse, and we saw him run so well. He finished third, um, carrying the big weight. No knocks on that performance. Amazing performance. However, is that the right sort of a platform to be bouncing out of it, you know, feeling like he's just shaken off his run, can do it all again, go to that level or a new peak in seven days' time in a Cox Plate? I have my reservations. Sort of similar, I suppose, to alligator blood how much have their most recent starts taken out of them how much has it those hard run races affected their ability to back it up and do it again and go to that level again this saturday i just have some reservations the other thing about gold trip is that in the cox plate last year where he was really good it was a really wet track it was a heavy track in the cox plate last year mm. and that suits him to a t he's a far superior horse on a wet track which is amazing because he's a bloody good horse on a good track too so um a few things that are while it's the same while it's the exact same pathway that he did last year there's a few things that are different and because of that i'm happy to be against gold trip in the cox plate knowing that i'm probably going to be right in his corner um the first tuesday of november which is only a week and a half or whatever away in the melbourne cup i think that's where we're going to really see him shine again and this saturday will just be another opportunity mm -hmm. for him to for him to build through his gears and, and build up towards the Melbourne Cup. Yeah, I have to agree. I think, you know, they wouldn't, they're obviously aiming for the Melbourne Cup following the exact same pathway as last year. I've just had a look at his gear as well. They're even following the gear changes down to a T. This time last year, the blinkers went on and then off for the uh -huh. Melbourne Cup. And this year again, the blinkers have gone on and who knows what we'll see on uh, Melbourne Cup day. They might come off again. So they're That's following crazy. everything to the letter. Yeah, so I think you're right. He's not here to win this one. He's here just to get those 10,000 metres that we spoke about last episode into those legs, and we'll see him at the Melbourne Cup. And now let's move on to Militarise Grace, who last ran in the Caulfield Guineas. He is one of two three-year-olds in the race. We've got Militarise in King, Colorado. And this is his first trip out to 2,000 metres as well, which we sort of we would expect from a three-year-old. Um, carrying 49 and a half kilos under weight for age conditions. So mm -hmm. uh, almost 10 kilos off the big boys, which is a pretty big advantage. I had a little look um, at the stats on three-year-olds and the last three-year-old winner was Seamus Award in 2013. But there's been some very high profile three-year-olds win this race, including So You Think, Savabeel mm -hmm. and Octagonal. So it's certainly a race the three-year-olds are competitive in. What do you think of Militarise on Saturday? And while Seamus Award was the last three-year-old to win the Cox Plate, oh, Animo went so close two years ago. Yes. Um, he obviously won the Cox Plate yes. last year as a four-year-old, but he arguably should have won the Cox Plate as a three-year-old the year before. But there was that protest that went on for like 15 minutes after mm -hmm. the race. Like, wow, that's in racing folklore. Him and State of Rest interference the whole way up the straight and State of Rest got his nose down and held the race because the protest was dismissed after 15 minutes. That was highly controversial. Anyway, you're right. Uh, three-year-olds have got a good record in the race, but not just any three-year-old. You have to be 
you have to be a very, very good three-year-old. The 49 and a half kilos is a massive, um, a massive advantage. There's no doubt about it, but you still need to be able to cope with a really, really high pressure weight for age 2000 meter group one where um, these horses are absolutely primed and they're the best of the best in Australia and, and internationally. So I definitely think that Militarize is the one of the two three-year-olds that we want to be with. Uh, he's got sort of the, the wins on the board. He's just got that as a two-year-old. So only going back to earlier this year, he was dominant. And King Colorado came on the scene late in the piece, won the JJ Atkins. But <clears throat> I think that there's a pretty big class difference between Militarize and King Colorado. So we, I definitely want to be with Militarize of the two uh, the two three-year-olds. Um, but the question is, is he good enough? Well, if we go back to the Caulfield Guineas and see what he did last start when he was a $2.60 favorite, so he was definitely expected to win the race and King Colorado came through the race as well and he finished fourth. Militarized finished fifth. However, it was much more merit to the run of Militarized who got way too far back. He ended up towards the rear of the field. Because they didn't go very hard in the Caulfield Guineas, it just made it really difficult for Militarized to have a winning chance. He's still come home in some really, really fast late sectionals that um, ranked really well on the day. So he was flying home, but it was just all over. The, the leader, Griff, won the race. So I think that that run was maybe a little bit disappointing to the eye, but don't be disheartened. It was just the way that the race was run and how far back he got gave him no winning chance, to be honest. Now, I think he's the right profile of a horse, definitely, to be going to a Cox Plate, but it's just, is he as good as Alligator Blood? Like, is he as good as Romantic Warrior? Yes, the 10 kilos helps. Um, I think that I can understand why people think he can win this race, but I personally think that he might just find these horses too tough and too strong and too good at this stage of his career. What do you think, Fee? Yeah, I have to agree. I was a little bit surprised to see him at $8.50. Um, and then obviously I clicked with the weights. I was like, oh, well, that makes sense, I guess. But I just think you're right. I think the class of the horses at the top is very high. And, you know, he'd have to really, you know, maybe if he won the Caulfield Guineas, I'd be feeling a lot more confident. And like, obviously from the way he ran, it was going to be very hard. As you said, he got too far back, but like, what's to say he's not going to do that again on Saturday. Like he is a cult, like yeah. they can at this age start to get a little bit, you know, distracted by things. He's got the blinkers on. Like, I just can't trust that he's going to get himself in the right spot to be in a winning position, I guess. So that um, makes yeah. me not very confident and militarized. And I think for me personally, I think he's probably a little bit, unders on the market i did want to talk about one yeah. dark horse that sort of caught my eye doing the form and that was number nine jewess so she's been running pretty well in her last couple of starts running third behind alligator blood in the caulfield stakes and then again third to alligator blood in the underwood stakes so following that same path as him and i think she's been going okay i, I wonder if you know her stepping up to the 2000 meters is the key because this is a distance that she's won over three times including last year's australian cup she's paying 27 dollars. i just thought perhaps that was a little bit over she's in barrier one you know both starts both of her last two starts she's been getting that inside run i think if she can get a clear if she can get a bit of room uh, coming into the straight and up the straight, she could be maybe a top three chance. 
What do you think, Grace? Well, Am I a little the... bit crazy here? No, you're definitely not crazy and you're not the only one because, um, you know, thinking the way you're thinking, in a market where we haven't seen much movement since uh, acceptances and since the barriers were drawn, Jewess has been $41 into $27. So there's plenty of people out oh, there that yeah. agree and think that she can run a really big race here. And you can understand why, because everything you said is, is right. You know, she's been out the back in whatever group one that she's been in and she's been storming home. N cannot knock at all what she has been doing. Um, and last year she came through the Caulfield Cup and then went into the Melbourne Cup. This year they've bypassed the Caulfield Cup and the Melbourne Cup and they've gone the wait for age path, um, seeing her run third behind Alligator Blood and the Might and Power Stakes last time and now Cox Plate. So she is 100% a sneaky chance in this race. However, from barrier one, sort of similar to militarize, they're going to need a lot of luck. If you think about the horses, um, well, both Jewess and militarize being back markers, we can assume that they're going to be towards the rear of the field. So they might have to have, they might need to be able to get past Alligator Blood and Mr. Brightside, maybe edge off Zaki to get into clear galloping room, you know, maybe say goodbye to Romantic Warrior on the way through. You know, are they suited in that sense, are they good enough to overcome being mm. back and buried around the valley in a cox plate? That's just my one query. I think both horses, it's not necessarily the low draws for them. It's just how far back they're going to, to be in the race where you've got the key contenders right there on speed. Makes it a tough task. But I think uh, it honestly wouldn't surprise to see Jewess, you know, run right there and be right there in the finish. I think that... At, at $27, I couldn't talk anyone out of having an each-way bet on her, her, that's for sure. And I guess the other one we should take a quick look at is number 10, Victoria Road Grace, because as um, we talk about a lot in the spring, we have these internationals come over and it's hard to know, you know, anything about them, you know, unless you're following European racing or international racing. Could you just give us a little bit of background on him? Well, Victoria Road uh, is trained by Aidan O'Brien, who is one of the world's best trainers he's from ireland and he and the coolmore valley doyle operation that he's the head trainer of um they are the best of the best they're the absolute pinnacle when it comes to global horse racing so it's good that he's got a representation in the cox plate and they won the race with a similar profile of a horse in terms of the fact that it's a northern hemisphere three-year-old so six months victoria road is six months older than militarize but even though it's only six months, he's classified as a four-year-old, not a three-year-old, just the way it works out. So he's still a young and an up-and-coming horse, Victoria Road. Uh, they won the race with Adelaide going back however many years ago. Similar profile, Aidan O'Brien did. But is Victoria Road Adelaide? Mm, not sure. Um, mixed reports on this horse who's only had the 10 starts for four wins. Obviously, uh, he's the, the stable think that he's got the right... Um, profile and the right merit to be able to come out to Australia and be competitive in a Cox Plate. But I tell you what, the betting is telling me a lot at the moment and he's eight out to $13 in mm. the last day and a half. And to me, that is pretty significant. That is a very significant sign that maybe Victoria Road won't be good enough to win this field. To have that sort of a drift in the first couple of days of betting, um, there's a few alarm bells going off in terms of how well he's going to perform. You know, it could change on, on race day, but I'm interested, really interested to see that he's been a big, big drifter so far in the Cox Plate betting. Mm, very interesting. Thanks for those insights. 
Now, last week, Grace, uh, we found it a little bit hard to pick a horse on top in the Caulfield Cup, so we went for a yeah. trifecta. Um, I think did we maybe get the trifecta? this field similar. I did, yes. <laughs> I mean, so you I had Solcom re- and I had without a fight. We swapped. We had those two in different spots. So I managed yep. to get it, but Solcom just was too slow away for you on Saturday, wasn't he? Just fumbled the start and oh. Yeah. I'm sure you were um disappointed from the get go. I was. He was really, really slow away. Um he's gonna need to fix that before he gets to the Melbourne Cup if he wants to be a winning chance there. But yeah, well done, Fee. That's awesome that you were able to get that trifecta <laughs> in the Caulfield Cup. But yes, so the Cox plate I feel like it's a lot clearer. Um for me anyway and i think that the two horses that i want to have something on the the one i think that is hardest to beat is romantic warrior i think he gets the absolute perfect run in transit um james mcdonald is riding him his work that we've seen on social media of the horse working around the valley has been very very good so i think he's going to get around the track nicely and if he improves um you know, if he takes good improvement out of his Turnbull Stakes run, which was essentially his first up run here in Australia, uh, I think that that's going to be pretty much good enough to win a Cox Plate. And for that reason, I think he's the one to beat. But the other one that I want to have some something on uh, is Mr. Brightside because he just gets every opportunity from Barrier 2 to be just behind the speed, spending no petrol early and get the gap and can be in the finish here. So they're the two that I'm with. What about you, Fee? I think I'm going to go with alligator blood. I know I'm just yep. hearing hearing what you were saying earlier about him having a really hard run last start, but I think he's tough enough to come through that and take the improvement. And, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm going to stick with him this year. Okay, well, now that we've done the Cox Plate, that was uh, pretty in-depth, Grace. We did a good job there. Let's move on to the other Group 1 of the day on Saturday, which is the Manicato Stakes, the Wait for Age Group 1 over 1,200 metres, where we see Imperatries line up, hoping to go three in a row at the Valley. Okay, so if we look at the market, of course, Imperatries is a very short price favourite at $1.45. And then we move to I Am Me at $7.50. And Buenos Noches, is that right? Noches? Buenos Noches at $8. (laughs) (laughs) Need to put my um, sombrero on to say that one. Um, And then on Uncommon James Grace, who has been a horse that you've liked throughout the spring so far, uh, is it just going to be Imperatrice, you know, embarrassing all the other horses? It's a very small field on Saturday. I don't think many people want to take her on. No, they are running scared of Imperatrice. There's no doubt about that. I mean, (laughs) Uh, outside of her, the only other horse that I think has, um, you know, got proper Group One form lines now this spring, you know, that would might might be a good chance in a Manicato Stakes is Bonus Notches. The rest are sort of just there making up the numbers, saying, "Well, if no one else wants to run against her, I will." Um, <laughs> so Imperatriz, she deserves to be dollar forty-five, and I think she will win this race because. If we go back to remembering, you know, talking about her in her first run this spring carnival in the McEwen Stakes where she was against Giga Kick, uh, it was the head-to-head Imperatrice Giga Kick and you had Rothfire in there as well. Um, and she won that in breathtaking style. Like it was an enormous win. And then after that, going into the Moya Stakes at her second start at Group 1 level this prep um, back a month ago, I was thinking, oh, okay, well, she can't replicate that. Like there's just no way. That was That was 
amazing. Like you cannot do that again. No, she did. She went and did the exact same thing again. Um, and she <laughs> broke her own track record off a slow tempo. She is an absolute freak, this mare. Like she is a dead set sprinting freak. I think if she had have been up in the Everest, she, I reckon she would have gone close to winning, if not winning. Um, but I'm so glad mm-hmm. that we get to see her on Cox Plate Day. You know, 1,200 metres is now the thing that's changed. So she's had already two runs at the Valley, but both have been at 1,000 metres. Now she steps up to 1,200 metres. But she won a Group 1 over 1,200 metres here at the Valley back in the autumn uh, in the William Reed Stakes as well. So she's proved that she can handle that. She's just a very, very good mare. And a five-year-old sprinting mare, there's no doubt she's in career best form. I think she'll just continue on her winning ways, and I can't wait to see what she does. Hopefully, um, you know, she's posting another monstrous win on the bridle, and then who knows what the future holds for her. It's, she's such an exciting sprinting mare, and I couldn't tip anything to beat her. There's no possible way um, off the back of what she did last ta- start, and that is the seeing is believing she is the real deal, and I think that she's going to be winning the Manicato Stakes. What do you think, Fee? Oh, for sure. I think, like, what you were saying about stepping out to 1,200 metres, like, there's been no concern with how she's running that that would even be a problem, and looking at her stats, it's actually her most successful distance with five wins. So, yeah, she is an incredible mare who we can just marvel at. We're so It's always nice when we have one of these horses in the springs that we just get to enjoy seeing them run around yep. and, and show us how classy and good they are. So very mm-hmm. excited to see her go around. I think something's going to have to go terribly wrong for something to beat her. Yeah, completely agree. You know, Buenos Notches is the other one that I mentioned before. He comes through the Everest um, which is obviously, you know, a, a great race and a great form reference for a Manicado stakes. But, you know, he was just okay there. Um, it was a little bit messy for him. Barrier 5, good. Blake Shin, good. But, yeah, it's all about imperatories for me in this small field. She should she should be a lock for everybody's multis on the day um, and certainly have her mm. one out the quaddy. Okay, well, let's move on to the third race we wanted to take a quick look at this week, and that is the Mooney Valley Gold Cup that is going to be run on Friday night at the Valley. Race 7, it is a set weights and penalties group 2 over 2,500 metres. This is an important lead-up race to the Melbourne Cup, Grace, and we see um, some definite Melbourne Cup hopefuls lining up on Friday night. Before we get uh, deeper into the field, Grace, and looking ahead to the Melbourne Cup, what is the importance of this Mooney Valley Gold Cup race? Well, we've seen, uh, obviously, um, a lot of stayers in recent weeks working their way towards the Melbourne Cup. And this is another race where they get to, you know, be put through their paces as they lead up to the big one, the 3,200-metre Melbourne Cup on the first Tuesday in November. Uh, We saw the Geelong Cup run and won this Wednesday of this week. Next Wednesday, we have got the Bendigo Cup. We've had the Caulfield Cup, obviously. We've had the Bart Cummings um, a couple of weeks ago. These are all traditional lead-up races towards the Melbourne Cup. But why, especially at this stage, um, you know, Mooney Valley Gold Cup time, and yeah, pretty much Mooney Valley Gold Cup time, Geelong Cup time, it gets really, really important because we've got the Melbourne Cup order of entry. So what that is, is the Racing Victoria handicappers, because we know that the Melbourne Cup is a massive handicap race, whereby the horse's rating dictates their weight. Um, 
the Racing Victoria handicappers have, a, going back a month or so ago, released the weights for the Melbourne Cup. So every single horse, 40, 50 horses that are put their hand up saying, yep, if we get there, we want to run. They go and allocate the weight for every single one of those horses at that point in time. And then from there on, every time one of these races uh, occurs, we see a change in the order of entry. Why the order of entry is so important is because it literally dictates horse one to horse 24. That is the final field. If your horse 30 in the order of entry come Mooney Valley Gold Cup time, well, you're starting to get a little bit panicky because you're chances are you're not going to get a start in the race and that's why for the horses that are on the cusp of gaining a start in the race so you know on the order of entry at this time um, horse 28 to 38 let's say um, they're the ones that are desperate absolutely desperate to be winning a race like the Mooney Valley Gold Cup because the winner of this race and the Geelong Cup and the Caulfield Cup they are all the winners gain a weight penalty for that win. The handicapper says, right, you just won that, so you deserve to get more weight in the Melbourne Cup. What does that mean? When you get more weight in the Melbourne Cup, then you go up and you surpass horses ahead of you in the order of entry and you have a better chance of making the field. So it's literally like snakes and ladders, this order of entry for the Melbourne Cup. And it's big <laughs> business. Like this is a massive race. There is a lot of money to be... Um, you know, up for grabs and just if you've got a stayer, the whole point of these handicap races is to be able to get in with a light weight but secure your spot in the race to give yourself every possible chance of winning. So the reason that the Mooney Valley Gold Cup is so important is that the favourite Luna Flair, she's already secured her place in this race. She did it by winning the Andrew Ramsden earlier this year and she won that ballot exempt race, golden ticket race, into the Melbourne Cup. So Luna Flair is the favorite for the Mooney Valley Gold Cup, but does she need to win? No. Does she want to win and get a weight penalty? You know, at the moment she's sitting in the Melbourne Cup, got secured her spot with 51 and a half kilos. Um, you know, the, the intent and I suppose the, the necessity for Luna Flair to be winning this race it's certainly not as high as it would be for, let's say, Interpretation, who was so good last start uh, in the Bart Cummings. It was a little bit unlucky and flashed home late. He needs to win this race to get into the Melbourne Cup because I'm looking at the order of entry and he is horse number 38 with 50 kilos. So he needs to win the Mooney Valley Gold Cup, let's say, get given a one kilo penalty to then push him up to really close to being on the verge of getting in the race so it's it's a really interesting concept at this time of year um mm. you know there's all these little races within the race of the melbourne cup and it honestly does come down to the tactics and the intent and what's going to happen it's fascinating i absolutely love it um but having said all of that i think that luna flair is best placed to win this if she wins though they're they're going to be receiving a penalty um and they'll be rising her weight in the melbourne cup from the 51 and a half kilos that she's currently on mm, i have like an interesting little factoid as well about the gold cup and that is that there's only been two mm -hmm. horses that have won this race and then the melbourne cup later and that's kingston rule in 1990 and blue spec back in 1905 so even though you may have to win this race to get your place in the Melbourne Cup, it's actually not that good of a form race um, for the Melbourne yep. Cup itself, winning the race, I should say. Yeah, well, um, you know, I suppose that might be because you see horses need to get to their peaks to win a race like this to secure their spot in the Melbourne Cup and then might not be able to 
you know, hold that and go to the next level in a Melbourne Cup because they've already sort of they're already sort of at their peak to get into the race. You see it time and time again. It's just what makes it. It's what makes the Melbourne Cup one of the most hardest races to win. Let alone the fact that it's a massive field, mm. tactical race, handicap, thirty two hundred meters. But even to get into the race is so so hard. Yeah, gosh. So um, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 so exciting, and this will be a massive a massive stepping stone. Uh, in that in that puzzle, I suppose. Vow and declare. Well, he's the four dollar second elect in the Mooney Valley Gold Cup on Friday night. He seems to be absolutely flying, and he's already won a mm-hmm. Melbourne Cup. We we know that. We know that that's his grand final again this year. But again, he's already in the Melbourne Cup field with a weight of fifty three kilos. I'm just seeing that on the order of entry. He's horse number fourteen at the moment. So, um. You know, he, he's not going to be as desperate to win this race as a horse-like interpretation. I, I know that much. Okay, so we might not – he was the one that I wanted to be with uh, on Friday night, but, you know, he might not be um, out there to win. So it's interesting, like, that you say, you know, it's not really to their advantage to win if their grand final is the Melbourne Cup, but we know that there are, you know, rules around horses not – you know, they're, they're required to put in their top effort, aren't they, on race day? Yeah, of course. There's – there's no guarantee that, um, you know, this is still a Mooney Valley Gold Cup and it's still a rich race in itself and it's the oldest race at um, Mooney Valley. I think it's got a history of 140 years or something. So it's a very prestigious race that people want to win regardless. Um, but, you know, with Vow and Declare, for example, and from Barrier 11, you know, I, I wouldn't expect Billy Egan to say, right, this is our race, let's take it by the scruff of the neck, we're banging him forward and we're going to be giving it our absolute all from that perspective he'll just get back and if he's flashing home and wins then that's great but it's just the intent of let's say interpretation he needs to win this race so there might be some tactical um you know discussion around what they do from the barrier they might even if they go back from barrier 13 they might want to set him alight and and really really give his 100 percent maximum effort in this to be winning and securing his spot in the Melbourne Cup. So yeah, to answer your question, Luna Flair, you know, the horses the horses that are in this that have already got their spot in the Melbourne Cup, they're still wanting to win, there's no doubt. But it's just a different level of intent. Mm-hmm. Oh well, it's gonna be a very interesting race. Are you with Luna Flair on Friday night, Grace? Yeah, I think that she's the best horse. I think she's absolutely airborne. Um and I think that with fifty three fifty four and a half kilos in the Mooney Valley Gold Cup from barrier three, I think she'll win. Um, and, you know, even if she does get a one kilo weight penalty, it doesn't really hurt her winning chances in a Melbourne Cup. So I think she's the one to beat here. And I genuinely think she can run a big race in the Melbourne Cup too. Well, that brings us to the end of our form previews. Grace, gosh, we've covered three races, talked about a lot of different horses today, and it's just all so exciting at this time of year. But did you know our next episode is going to be our annual Melbourne Cup sweepstakes episode so where we just go through every runner in the field of the Melbourne Cup because we won't be doing uh, an episode ahead of Derby Day we'll have to save um, that episode for the Melbourne Cup it's come around so quickly hasn't it yeah it has it's crazy to think that we're already at the Melbourne Cup carnival um, you know, this time next week, it's going to be basically Derby Day. It's insane to think how fast it's gone, but it's been such a great spring so uh-huh. far. There have been so many amazing stories and amazing horses that keep just notching up wins. And I think that we are primed for an amazing 
Cox Plate Day, Cox Plate Carnival and Melbourne Cup Week as well. Yeah, and when do the final fields, like when is it all locked in for the Melbourne Cup? What day can we expect the final fields? Well, traditionally, um, the final field is not confirmed for the Melbourne Cup until the running of the Lexus or the Hotham Handicap, which is on Derby Day. And it is the final chance for a horse to win their way into the Melbourne Cup. So we don't have a final field until that race has been run and won. And then, you know, half an hour afterwards, the handicapper will release their final field. And then after Derby Day is the Melbourne Cup barrier draw, which um, they, you know, make a big event out of and connections are able to go and select the barriers for the Melbourne Cup. So we don't actually have the final field and barriers and everything until about eight o'clock on Saturday night. And then markets go up and then let the games begin. So I'm just thinking about uh, our scheduling, Grace. It looks like we'll be putting in a late Sunday night to get this episode out. <laughs> it's always Absolutely. such a quick turnaround for the Melbourne Cup. <laughs> such a quick turnaround. But, um, you know, every single person's in the same boat. Every single person is, you know, spending Sunday trying to work out what they want to do for the Melbourne Cup. And, you know, there are Calcutta's everywhere and there's a call of the card. You know, it's just such an amazing um, time where racing gets the 100% of the, the sporting nation's focus and just culturally is such an important um, day and race on the calendar. So yeah, can't wait for it to come around. Yep. So if you are going to be taking place in the sweepstakes or you just want a look at the entire field and, you know, it's a big one, 24 horses. So what we'll be doing is running through each and every runner, giving a little profile on each of them so you can be familiar with each horse before making your selections come Melbourne Cup Day. So uh, that's going to be a really big episode and we will catch you then. Good luck for Saturday and the Cox Play. I'm sure plenty of you will be attending. I hope you have a lovely day. And yeah, good luck with trying to find the winner. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.